Hello. For those of you, which this is really fun, there's many faces that I don't know, which is so fun for me, and I hope that we get the chance to meet um, after the service. I am Mother Sandy Richter, and I am the rector of Christ Our Peace, which is Savior's Church Plant. I know you pray for us often um, in Oak Park, and it is just such a privilege to be here with you today. This church is the place where I received my call out of the love and the grace that exists here in this space by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so it is just truly such a gift to come back and to be here. I'll get to celebrate here for the first time tonight um, at the table. And it's just thank you for being a part of that, whether you didn't know you were a part of it or not. Um, Father Kevin asked me just to give a little update about Christ Our Peace here at the beginning. Um, and I know that some of you get regular updates from Roger Botner, who hangs around here every once in a while as one of our uh, just most dear core team members. Um, but I wanted to just let you know, for those of you that don't have really any context, um, we started meeting as a team in January of 2020 uh, as a core team. And you're probably smiling at the fact that that was just before, of course, our lockdown. Um, but just a couple of weeks into the lockdown, I got a prophetic phone call from Doug Stewart, who said to me, you're going to think that this is a, an obstacle in the way of you planting this church, but isn't this just like God? Think of the ways, Doug said, that God has always worked through David, through, you know, and the list goes on and on. And it's just so beautiful to see the ways that God has really really done an amazing work from what seemed like a really bad idea to plant a church in the midst of a pandemic. Um, we have seen that through, first of all, just a really healthy core team. I'm so grateful for the people from Savior that came to Oak Park to be with us, and then there were some who were already living in Oak Park as well. Um, and then the extra time that we had, we actually met as a core team and were able to develop relationships with people for a year and a half before we even launched into services. And that turned out to be a really important time for us to develop our core values, not just as an ideal, but to begin to live those out with one another. And then for that to be, that was always been our hope that that would then be able to multiply into the community that God would create. And we've really seen that happen. Um, and then the third thing that we saw just as a miracle of God's timing was that a building opened up at just the right time for us. And we have this amazingly beautiful space, and it's not only a beautiful space that we are renting from and sharing uh, the building, but it's also been really a hub of community. So the church that owns the building is a Presbyterian church. Then there's another church that has been meeting there for a long time, a black church from Chicago called Glory House Chicago. And then there's also a school in the building um, that uh, one of the members of our core team is a teacher there. And so we've just seen the opportunity to really live into the community, again, a real desire of ours. So even though it felt like how do we build into the community in the midst of a pandemic, God was already preparing a place for us to build into the community. And then that's just kept going as we've been meeting together. Um, we just celebrated one year in that building. Pentecost was our first service there. Um, we started meeting monthly last summer. And it was just really, really fun last week um, to celebrate all of the ways that we've seen God at work in the midst of us. Um, our congregation is steadily growing, and it was really fun 
the last time Father Kevin and I spoke, and, and I told him that we continue to have visitors every time, and he joked, where do these people even come from? And I said, I'm with you. I don't even know. But it's just amazing to see people come, and really a blessing to me. Every week, I feel like, I don't know that we're really doing anything. And yet, God's Spirit is so clearly there. And so again, we have Doug's words of, it's the small things, and God is the one who does the great work through them. So if I could just ask you for some specific ways that you could pray for us. Um, one is that we are looking to hire some more staff. I have been the only full-time person, and then um, we had volunteers doing everything else. And we're, we're prayerfully considering hiring some, some more significant positions. And I would just really appreciate your prayers for wisdom and guidance in that. Um, and then also we are fundraising, which we will do for the next few years. Savior, you already support us so wonderfully, but in a healthy church partnership, that's going to dial down while our fundraising plus our church members is going to go up. And so we, we just need prayer for those, those things to kind of do what God would have them to do. Um, and then in addition to that, just continued wisdom for the work in the community uh, we have a couple of kind of baby growing relationships with other churches in the area, in particular one in Chicago called Jesus Word Center. And I just am curious about what God is doing there. Racial justice is very central to the work that we're doing, the desires of our hearts, um, and some of these opportunities would really allow for that. So we're excited to see that. Um, we also had the opportunity to raise the money for a community fridge, which is going to be on the property there. Uh, I don't know if, if you have those out here, but it's basically like a pantry that people can just come and go to. So uh, they find that it's highly accessible to people who would not feel like they should go to a pantry, but who still are experiencing food insecurity. Um, so there's just all of these things that we, we want to just keep following the Lord's lead. It's been amazing to see the ways that God just keeps opening up small things, small directions for us to walk in. Um, so I'd love to talk to you more about any of that. If you're curious, Roger would as well. My husband Ian and my kids who are a huge part of our ministry, they may be a little shyer about talking about it, um, but they are a really significant part as they serve at the table with me in children's ministry in various places. So uh, we would love to connect with you more about all of that. So that's my intro, my long-winded intro. You did tell me to take my time, so I did. <laughs> and I'm going to take a drink. Oh, excuse me. One of the things I did not realize about preaching every week is that I would um, develop a dry throat. So forgive me if I drink tea often while we're spending our time together now. Let's just start with a moment, um, if you will, just with me. Close your eyes if you feel comfortable or you can put your eyes forward on the cross or the table, the candles. Let's just take a breath or two. And as we do so, I just want to acknowledge with you and on your behalf the presence of the triune God that invited us into this space tonight. And with you, I now ask that that ministry of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would open up our hearts and our minds, would empower our wills to know that we are loved 
and to walk as we are loved. And Lord, use these humble words of my mouth as your mouthpiece to do your work in us, even tonight. Amen. So as you know, tonight is the Feast of the Trinity. And uh, I really like the, if you read the, the intro on the first page that describes the Feast of the Trinity, I really like how it says, today is the only day that celebrates a doctrine, which I had to laugh at because uh, as a theologian, I, I really enjoy doctrine, but it sounds so boring, right? That we would have a week where we would talk about the Trinity. You'd think that it would be something that only people like me or other uh, academic theologians might enjoy having a week to think about. But the reality that I have found, especially over the last 10 years of my life, is that the triune God and understanding the love that exists in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that's perfectly crafted to minister to us and to bring life out of us, it's actually the, le the least boring thing we could ever imagine. It is the life force at the center of the universe. And tonight, I am not going to go over the ins and outs of how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together. Instead, I would like for us just to spend a moment to really land on a particular work of the triune God, which I am calling the work of developing a resiliency, a resilient hope in God's people so that we might be able to join in this amazing work of redemption that God is about in our world. So resiliency is something that I have thought a lot about in the last couple of years, um, particularly, of course, uh, resiliency in the midst of a pandemic is one thing. Many of us have had to learn a lot of different ways of coping when we didn't have the, the resources that we were used to. But even before the pandemic hit, I noticed, uh, particularly in the white American church, um, sort of a, uh, a stress that was growing, particularly in the last couple of uh, presidential cycles. I noticed some disturbing things coming forth from the evangelical white church and, and a sense of fear growing among many, many Christians. And I, I just kept thinking to myself, it seems to me that we are being called to live a different kind of faith than we've been used to before. And that what's going to be required is a different kind of resiliency than what we've been accustomed to. And as I thought about it more, and I am certainly not original in this idea, it seems to me that although we as mostly white Christians um, have a beautiful legacy to draw from. We also, as Western Christians, uh, have inherited a, a kind of strange form of Christianity. And it really dates back, I would suggest, to Constantine and to the idea that Christianity was a national religion. And in the United States, we got the idea that the most important, the way that we could be faithful as Christians would be to retain as much political power as we could possibly have. That would be the way that we would accomplish the work of God. But then what I saw over the last, you know, few years, you can put that in different places depending on what you want to name, is that as that 
political power seemed to be potentially slipping from our fingers, the fear started to rise up in many of us. And many people, and I would say me included, out of that fear thought, okay, what we need to do is we need to grasp more. We need to make sure that we hold on. And I think in a, an interesting way, what surfaced in that time is that we really didn't have resources to deal with this disorienting thing that we're all living through other than trying to just grab for power. Now I'm oversimplifying this, but I do think there's something really at the root of evangelical Christianity where we are addicted to that being a form of dealing with our everyday lives. And I don't think it's just on the political stage. I see it in myself. I was talking to someone yesterday who is a, a church planter. He's been in ministry for a, many years, um, but we had this lovely conversation. They're just starting out a new church plant. And we were talking about how as church planters, so much of the process is just completely unknown. You're just trying to figure out what in the world would God want me to do next. And then we started talking about how the beauty of that, if you can receive it, is being in a position of weakness and then seeing God provide for you in really incredible ways. But we both then pointed to the fact that that is so unbelievably counter to the kind of faith that we've been raised in. That what my faith told me was that I needed to be stronger, whether the power be inside of me or the power be something I access, I need to be strong if I'm going to join God in the work that God is doing. But the reality of the upside down kingdom of Jesus is that weakness is the place where we find our strength. And this is where I think we as a church are being called to develop a different kind of hope-filled resilience. A resilience that relies on the Father's love, on the brotherhood and the lordship and the saving grace of Jesus and the unbelievably intimate, powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And I think that that deep work of making us strong in the Lord rather than strong in ourselves or strong as a church, I think that is the work that actually both Jesus and Paul are pointing to in our passages today that we heard read. So I just want to repeat, the idea here is that resilient hope is the gift of the triune God given to the church to be the people of God in the world. The first thing that we learn, which I find really interesting um, in the John passage, is that God knows that we are going to need this kind of strength from without that becomes a strength from within, this, what I'm calling resiliency, resilient hope. Um, I would guess, because when I was in your shoes, I also did not often have a Bible in front of me, but I had the order of worship. So I'm just going to set the stage for you of John 16 just before we enter into verse 12. This is Jesus' last discourse with his disciples. You probably are well aware, many of you, that he's in the upper room. This is when he's trying to prepare the disciples for the fact that he's about to leave them. And what he says is so interesting earlier in the chapter. He says, um, you know, 
we've been doing this for a while. I'm, I'm obviously uh, using my own version of the Bible <laughs> here for a moment. <laughs> um, but he says, what is about to happen to you is essentially what you have never yet experienced. You are going to be thrown out of synagogues. You are going to be persecuted. You are going to, your own uh, lives are going to be threatened. So you think that it's been hard so far. Remember, Jesus is talking to people who have already given up so much in their life to follow him. In fact, at one point they say to him, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus acknowledges that. Yes, they've already given up so much. And now I just feel like in the tenderness of his heart even, we see him saying to them, but there's more. You've seen a lot, you've given up a lot, but there's more. And in order for you to live into this amazing thing that I'm going to do in and through you, you're going to need something more than what you've had so far. So verse 12, I think, is a really interesting transition into Jesus talking about what more God has to give. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, which just like rocks my heart. Um, I just feel like Jesus, I, I was thinking about this, like the stance that Jesus is in in this moment and the tenderness with which he's interacting with his disciples, the love that he's showing here at the beginning of this passage. And I was thinking about in so many ways that's, that's like we really want to prepare people for, for the things that they're about to go through. We, we really, we, you know, if you've been to college and you're talking to someone who's in high school and, and getting ready to figure out where they're going to go to college, you're thinking, oh, please let me tell you how to not make all the mistakes that I made, right? <laughs> or I was even thinking about my kids and how um, one of mine in particular really loves, actually most of them at different times, really love to tell each other, like, I've experienced this thing. Here's how you tie your shoes or run that computer program or the biggest is here's how you play that video game exactly the way that I, I, that I figured it out. Now, they don't always love that dynamic, obviously. Um, but I think there's something really beautiful about the fact that we long to, to give people what they're going to need to, to do well. And I see Jesus here out of his deep love, and he's knowing that these are the last minutes. And I'm thinking, Jesus has this sense of all of the history that we've seen come in the last 2,000 years, of the people who even now are being truly killed for their faith all over the world. The kind of psychological and emotional and spiritual pressure that his followers would have to endure. And knowing that, he says in verse 13, so he says, I have more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Remember, he's been talking about everything they're going to suffer. And then he says, but when the spirit of truth comes, the spirit will guide you into all truth. And I think it's so important for us to realize that God knew and knows the kind of resiliency that we need for the work that we're being called to. It is not as if God thinks, wow, I just really wish they could do it on their own. That's kind of the image that I grew up thinking about God, that he really wished that I could do it on my own, but okay, he was okay to help me if I would like help myself a little bit, he would meet me halfway. That's not at all the kind of God that we serve. The triune God knows that we are made of dust. And knowing that we are made of dust, he breathes life into us, into the dry bones, into the dust of the earth. And so the Father and the Son send the Spirit to the church 
for this very reason, so that the Spirit could guide us in all truth, so that, as the passage goes on, we see that the Spirit can witness to the reality of the Father and the Son, that we cannot grab a hold of that reality all the time, but the Spirit is witnessing to that reality. Last week on Pentecost, uh, we are reminded that not only do we have this gift of the Spirit poured out on us, but we actually have been given the Spirit inside of us. A kind of reality that really is just even beyond what we can comprehend. That the Spirit has been poured into our spirits so that we're not just taught from the outside like we might like to teach someone else how to do well, but that the Spirit actually dwells in us, building that resilient hope that we so need. And in fact, I think the next thing that we see, and Paul really draws this out in a beautiful way, is that we have been given by the ministry of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit everything that we need to continue to follow Jesus, even in the face of really great adversity. So in Romans, um, we, you may know, you may have heard many of the stories of how much the Roman church was being persecuted during this time that Paul wrote his letter to them. In fact, Paul himself was um, very much at the center of that persecution multiple times. Um, and so Paul is writing to a people who are well aware of what it is to be in a powerless position, to be feeling their weakness and their uh, they're not enough very keenly. And I think it's interesting then that Paul starts with this in verse 1 of chapter 5. But therefore, he's been talking about uh, righteousness and faith, that our faith is really, in chapter 4, our faith is really grounded in the reality of who God is rather than our own works. So therefore, since we've been justified through faith, Paul writes, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I might be tempted, as you might be tempted, to just go over this beautiful sentence, but I want us to pause for a second. Paul is talking here about a reality that exists now because of the work of Jesus. Not something that we attain or we make happen by our own efforts. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace. I absolutely love in the children in worship uh, curriculum when they do the parable stories, they talk about parables as a gift that we've been given. And the parable is a gift that we've been given, they say, therefore, we cannot buy it or take it or steal it. It's a gift. It's already ours. And I would say to you what Paul is saying here is that peace is a gift that we already have. And when when Paul's talking about peace, he's not talking about just feeling okay, like in the midst of strife where you're some sort of, you know, Zen Buddhist or something. What he's talking about here is shalom. The fact that the wholeness, the everything being right, the beauty that was at the center of God's heart when God created the world, that was broken apart and torn apart by sin, because of the work of Jesus, all of that has been remade. And we are now living in, you know, that already not yet, where we don't really see that that's yet the case. We're not fully experiencing the fact that it's the case. But that doesn't mean that it's not the case. 
Because of the resurrection power of Jesus, God has raised Jesus from the dead, completely conquered death and all the forces of evil, and now shalom exists in this world right now as we're sitting here. This morning I went into our church um, to do some preparation on my sermon, and I came in just feeling really out of sorts. And I just absolutely love, I hope that you're welcome to come. I hope you do come sometime to visit our church. This is also a beautiful church, and I've had many wonderful times of prayer in here. But I came in, and I'm just going to describe this for you. If you've seen it, you'll be with me. If you haven't, you'll just have to try to imagine it with me. I came into the room, and there's a very long aisle. And the first thing I always notice is there are a number of things, uh, which would be right here. Um, and I'm going to describe them for you. The first one that always catches my eye is there is a, a really big chalice and uh, wafer that are in gold mosaic. And then there's light in gold mosaic coming from the chalice. And then below that is a, a, re a wood relief of the Last Supper. And then above that is a stained glass window with Jesus right in the center of it. And every time I come in, no matter what time of day, because of how they've done the lighting in there, that chalice just shines. No matter how dark, it is, if you come in, I've been in there at night, you come into the room, and you can see that chalice shining with all of its light reverberating from it. And so today I came in, I'm struck by it every time, but today I came in, and I looked up, and I, all over again, was just, my breath was taken away. And I closed my eyes and I said to God, I actually kneeled down on the, on the ground in the aisle and I said to God, I am feeling so scattered. Please give me a sense right now that the reality of the world is the kind of wellness and wholeness that that light represents that's coming out of the body and blood of Christ. That is the gift of the triune God. Father, sending the Son, Son, sacrificing his life, and the Spirit giving that to us in our hearts. And so we have to start with that. We have that peace. That is the reality of our lives. And through that, we have gained access into the grace in which we now stand. That's in verse 2. And so, Paul says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And so that means we're going to, if we're going to talk about power, we're going to talk about how amazing the power of God is that turns death into life. That's the glory of God. So then Paul goes on to say to these people who are suffering that we can then glory in our sufferings. Can I just say, I hated this verse when I was younger. I thought it meant that we had to be excited when we were having a hard time. And I really hated that because I got to be honest, like I feel things deeply. I never felt great when I was in the midst of my suffering. But what this is talking about is a work of the Spirit in the midst of our suffering that can transform a really, really horrible, not from God kind of situation into a place where hope still shines forth. And so Paul goes on to explain a little bit, I think, about how this process works. That we know, Paul says, that suffering produces endurance. And I think what, what comes to my mind when I think of that is that as we suffer with Christ and not just on our own, 
And as we suffer with that sense of the resurrection power in us, and as we suffer with the love of God being poured into our hearts by the gift of the Holy Spirit, then our suffering is a suffering that by some miracle of that grace, we are able to endure. And I think, uh, when I think about this, um, I think a lot about a friend of Ian and, and myself. Uh, his name is Tim, and his mom suffered from MS. And for stretches of her life, when it would flare up, she would be you know, completely debilitated. But at the end of her life, number of years, she was bedridden. Um, and she was, her husband um, was a minister. They were very involved in their church. She literally could only lay in bed. And what she felt was her call and her vocation during that time was to sing the songs of Jesus and to pray for all of the people that she could think of to pray for. And that sounds, if you didn't know her, that sounds so lofty and really almost impossible. But every person who came to see Tim's mom would leave with a sense that they had been close to the very spirit of God. Because in that suffering, she knew that she was not alone, that Jesus was right there with her in the bed, that the Holy Spirit was inside of her, giving her every single day the grace that she needed to take another breath, to sing another song, to say another prayer. For those of you that have been at Savior for a while, you uh, hopefully knew John Kuja. And John was absolutely one of the most incredible examples I have ever seen of this. The last time, many of you have heard this story before, and if you have, forgive me, but it's worth telling again, and, and especially for those that haven't. The last Monday, Thursday service that I served in at Savior when we were still in person, John was there with his wife, and I'm not going to get through this without crying. And both of them were very debilitated in their abilities to walk and to move, um, but they came forward, they wanted to wash each other's feet. And John, who barely could stand and had trouble sitting and getting back up again, got down on his knees and washed his wife's feet. And if you knew John, you knew he would be so quick to tell you that the reason that he did that is because he knew and had experienced the love and service of Jesus to him day in and day out. And so John's suffering and Tim's mom's suffering produced endurance. And we know, all of us, of people whose suffering does not produce endurance. I have unfortunately known a number of people whose suffering produced bitterness or whose suffering produced um, just a great amount of unhappiness not only for themselves but for other people. My great-grandmother was a very difficult person to, to be with, unfortunately, and it wasn't until after she died that I found out that she had had a horribly, terribly difficult life where she had been demeaned by the people around her, where she had suffered great pain. And I just say that not because, I mean, God bless her. She's in a better place now. But it isn't automatic that suffering produces endurance. And, but it is a possibility of the work of the triune God to develop that kind of resiliency in us. And then that endurance turns into character. As we suffer with God, we find ourselves able to exhibit things that we never knew we would be able to exhibit. 
Uh, I have a good friend who was in a pastoral situation that was an absolute nightmare. And by God's grace, she continued to faithfully, really, make decisions, loving her enemies, doing the right thing. And she, she was gone for a few years and came back. And I told her just the other day, I said, I hated that time for you. But wow, I can see the character that God has developed in you because of that. And that's not because she's this amazing person. She was crying and having a hard time the whole time. But she was leaning into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so her suffering produced the endurance, and the endurance produced the character. And then that character is transformed into a really solid place of hope inside of us. As we see that God is working in us, we are empowered to, we're, we learn how to trust. To not just think, oh, maybe I'm going to be okay, even though this is really hard. But we're able to name, to grab a hold of these things that God has really done in us. And that is what leads us to um, a kind of resilient hope. Our eyes are turned from what we are able to do in a situation to the glory of God to transform even the worst situations into a place of hope. And that's why, then, we learn to boast in our sufferings. Not in the pain itself, but we learn to talk about, we just can't help but talk about, the amazing ways that God has met us, even in the darkest places. It's not... It's not um, sugarcoating. I'm talking about something different here. We do have a way of, as Christians, as I, I think especially of like, you know, somebody asks you how you're doing, and you say, oh, you know, it's been a hard season, but God is good. That's good, especially if you've really experienced that. But what I'm talking about is something more hard won, a work that truly is a miracle of the spirit, where you can tell me in the same breath, I have had the hardest week of my life. And at the same time say, and by some strange miracle, I saw this moment of relief, or that person called me, or I had the grace to do this thing that I didn't think I could do. That is the work of the triune God inside of us in the midst of our suffering, developing in us the kind of resiliency that we need. That's Paul singing hymns in prison, right? That's John Buja getting down on his knees to serve his wife. And so because this is a gift, as I said, this is not something that I want us to then go out there in the midst of our suffering and try to make happen on our own. Again, that would be buying into a false God. We cannot do it. But there is the Father's love. There is the work of the grace of Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which Paul says, hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. I love that image. Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so I would say our invitation in this time as individuals and as church united is to let go of all of those false gods. All of the things that we're trying to make us get through, and instead, like children, to grab a hold of the grace of God for all it's worth. And so my invitation to all of us 
is where is that place where you need desperately to meet with the ministry of God's Holy Spirit? And my prayer as I came in here tonight is that as you sing these songs and hear these words and say these prayers, and in particular, as you come to the table, that God, the God who knows you, the God who knows what you're suffering, the God who's suffering with you, would meet you with that miraculous hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May it be so. Amen.